This morning, we are going to go back to the Sermon on the Mount that we've been talking about. Really, if you think about it, uh, uh, there is like a whole crew of people that's just flocking into Jerusalem. They They were expecting every year about two million people would come into this town, right? And when they come into this town, this is just like a, a moment of celebration for all the shopkeepers, the vendors, the people who are selling new stuff. It, this is like a marketplace, is like a buzzing. There's so much of like a noise everywhere. The town is decorated so beautifully and that uh, people are just like uh, walking around, uh, you know, seeing their cousins that they hadn't seen in one year. This is almost like a meeting place for the people to come together and just like enjoy everybody. Just like a once a year, they just like a plan this trip to come to Jerusalem, right? So the town is like a buzzing with the, all kinds of activities. The, in the nights, there are like a magic shows and the people are just like having so much of fun eating food. They Sometimes what they were doing is like they would bring like a loads and loads of food. So they will actually sit in in a park kind of an area with the, all the family members that they were coming from, like a Galilee or Nazareth and uh, or, or from different parts of Israel. They're just like coming together. But when they saw Jesus walking around, they would have said, ah, let's put all these things. Let's follow this guy because he's always talking something that, you know, almost like this uh, newspaper or the media people want to follow the, the celebrities. They, they were just like wanting to follow because they know Jesus has been speaking radical things up until this point. So as Jesus was just like a walking, there were slew of people walking behind him. At some point, Jesus would have turned back and said, oh my goodness, how many of these guys are just like following me? And so he stepped onto a small mountain-like place where he could just like see everybody and then talk to them. Jesus is really good in finding ways to talk to people. So he was getting on the mountain to talk to the people. Sometimes he get on the boat. Sometimes he gets, this is so beautiful because when we want to give the gospel to somebody, we have to find creative ways to do that. There is no way that like a, uh, two days ago or so, we were trying to do this podcast and I was just like asking our guys, tech guys, uh, what about like, uh, you know, keeping all of our faces on that one screen. And our tech guy said, ah, Cyril, that's going to be boring. Because it's like, if you do the same thing again and again and again, that people may not even have a ways to just like consume what we're giving it to them. So we need to find ways to give the gospel in new ways for people to consume. And that's what Jesus was doing. There was a pastor in Charlotte. And he, he he does always this kind of like a unique ways to do stuff. At one point, uh, when he was preaching, what he did is uh, he was lying on the floor and kept the mic next to him, and he preached the entire message lying on the floor. One time, he got into a box 
and he preached from inside the box. One time, it was more radical. He had like a smoke, like a cigar in his hand, and he pe preached the entire time. It, it created controversy, but then the message was sent. And so Jesus was trying to do the exact same thing. He did not care about the controversy, but he wanted to give the message with the clarity to the people. And so when he started this message in Matthew chapter 5, when he's talking about the Beatitudes, that's how he's starting. It's all very radical thought process that the people did not even have before. A lot of these things were in Mosaic law. These things were just like written in a book. These things were just like a red, like a Torah the, during their dinner time. They were not like a red, like a, how that the words were not coming out alive. Earlier this morning, when Miss Susan was praying, she was saying, Rhema word should come out. The, the words should jump out of the Bible and speak to our heart. And that's what Jesus was doing here. If we have a chance to listen to what Jesus is saying today, we will see how it is so different than what the culture says about peace, what the culture says about mourning, what the culture says about having peace, what culture says about merciful. Jesus was just making up radical statements during that time, right? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, and this is where we're going to linger a little bit, and then we will go into a couple of different places today morning. But if you have your Bible, Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 3. The Bible says, this is um, something that we have read the last five, six weeks. We have read it so many times, so some of you may know this by heart. Jesus starts by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforters. Blessed are the meek. In some versions, it says, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These eight beatitudes that Jesus was talking about was something that was radically different than what they have heard all along, right? But when we read this, actually we can break it into the two parts. You can break this eight verses or the eight beatitudes into two sections. The first four beatitudes is one section and the second four beatitudes as the second part, right? And the first four deals with internal, what we need to be doing. We need to be pure. 
glorifying ourselves. And we need to be the one who have to just like know that we have nothing to offer to God, the poor in spirit. We are the ones who needs to just like a mourn over the sins that we have committed before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have to be mourning over the injustice that are happening around us, right? Because the Bible says those are the things, characters that we need to do, we need to do to ourselves, right? Being poor in spirit, mourning, being gentle or meek. And then the last one is like, a, you know, a hungering and thirsting after righteousness. So if you put all of those four on the left side, and then on the right side, the second part is about like a, when we have to interact outwardly with somebody else, right? And here is how the next four come into play. Being merciful, being pure in heart, being peacemaker, and being, you know, uh, persecuted. There is like a right, there is something, blessedness about being persecution, right? We'll come to that next week. And here, if we take this and put it next to each other, the, the thing is, being pure, the first part is like a poor in spirit, right? The poor in spirit is the first beatitude. But if we take the seventh verse, which is the fifth beatitude, the second four, it says, you know, blessed are the merciful. When we are poor, when we open ourselves to empty ourselves, then outwardly, it shows us to be merciful to the people. When we mourn for our sins, right, the second beatitude, the sixth one says, we will be pure in heart. When we mourn internally, then outwardly we'll be pure in heart. When we start to become meek or gentle inside, outside we'll become peacemakers. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness internally, outwardly it says people will not agree to it. When you try to do the right things, they will in fact will persecute you. The first seven Beatitudes are talking about internally what we do and outward we do. But the eighth one is like a how will the world react? When you start to live this way, these principles that God is talking about, the principle that Jesus is talking about here is talking about how a kingdom citizens should live, how that the, the people that are going to be in heavens will have their attitudes. And so when we are in earth, the Bible says, like when Jesus was like a praying, he was saying, you know, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So just like how it is going to be in heaven, God says we need to live our life on earth the same way we will live in heaven. Because this is how the heaven's going to look like. This is how the people of his kingdom is going to react to things. This is how the heavenly citizens behave. 
right? So with that said, we're going to pay attention to verse 9 today. Blessed are the peacemaker, for they shall be called the sons of God. And the thing is this, this beatitude is one of the tough beatitudes to follow. All the things before that has to happen for us to become the peacemakers. The first beatitudes and the second beatitudes, all those things lead up unto this point where it matters the most for God to be the peacemaker. This is not talking about like a peacekeeper. This is not talking about peace. This is talking about peacemaker. This is something that is so dear to God. And that's why the blessing that comes out of this is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And, and, and the thing is that, why is this peacemaking so critical for, for Jesus? Because the world right now is filled with the hatred. The world right now is filled with so much of anger and people throw things at each other. People are not in peace with each other. In fact, I was looking at the history and in, in 1945, after the World War II ended, they formed an organization called United Nations, right? When the United Nations were formed, by all these international leaders proposing to it, this global organization was supposed to bring peace and avoid abuses of war. If you think about it, this national conflicts that are going on, or the international conflicts that are going on, there's absolutely no way that we can say all these nations across this world are at peace. We had so far 450 recorded wars in the last 3,400 years. We had 450 recorded wars, 49 un armed conflicts are happening right this morning, today morning. There are 49 armed conflicts. This is not, I'm not talking about like, a, you know, people are having some kind of like a disagreement with each other. Here, the nations are fighting against the nations. There are 49 of them are going this morning. Just this year alone, in Yemen, 16,000 men were killed in the name of a war, in a conflict. So, that internationally, there is no peace. We have disagreements with China, and uh, you know we have disagreements with uh, Iran and Iraq. We have disagreements as a nation. We have disagreements with so many other countries, and they have too with the other countries. So internationally, there is no peace. There is still conflict and strife exists, and that's why God is looking for the peacemakers. Racial conflict within America. They say, you know, this year alone, we spent, uh, you know, 90% of the cases that were booked in this country, you know, were, were racially, 
mind and hate crimes that has happened or against ethnicity that happened in this country. This year alone in America, we paid over $420 billion in lawsuit because of a domestic conflict. As a nation, we have conflict right now because of race and because of ethnicity. There is no peace in this country right at this moment in time. Political restlessness in this nation. You know, every four years, we, we go through this like a turmoil as a nation, as if the presidents make a difference in this nation. Presidents don't make any difference. Presidents come and go. There is one that is sitting on the throne this morning that controls the heaven and earth. It is but at his discretion men are made great and given strength. It is at his discretion that the heavens and earth operate. But uh, you know what? We still have political unrest in this nation ever since the November release uh, results have come. We still have problems. It, it will not be solved by our human efforts. The God of this universe has to put his hands upon this nation to bring peace. Personal conflicts. The list goes on and on and on. That's why God is saying, I am looking for peacemakers. Where are my peacemakers? Where are they? And that's why this beatitude is so beautifully placed. Jesus is saying, this is not the way of life that I designed. I did not design these nations to be fighting against each other. I did not design my people to fight against the, the racial difference. I did not want the people to fight against, you know, all these matters that does not have eternal value. And also, God is saying, if, if we have like a strife and conflict in the nation. It did not start there. It starts from our home. We have unrest in our own, own homes. We have unrest in our own communities. We have unrest across this uh, city and the nation only because we, the peacemakers, are being quiet. We the church are the peacemakers. The peacemakers that the, the, this whole Bible that we have in our hands, there are only two times that the Bible is talking about peacemakers. We will talk about it today on both places. There, there are 400 different verses or times in the Bible. It talks about peace, the root word of peacemaker, but only twice. In the New Testament, it uses the word peacemaker. And one of them is what Jesus is talking about. And the second one, Jesus' brother James is talking about in his book. We'll see both of them this morning. Peace, I saw the definition. I was looking for the definition, the spiritual definition, the biblical definition, and so on. But here's what I come into after reading through all of these things. Peace is not the absence of war. Peace is not an absence of war, but the presence of harmonious relationship 
it is the responsibility of the peacemaker to reconcile the broken relationship. As the followers of Jesus and the citizens of the kingdom, it is your responsibility and my responsibility to reconcile the broken relationship. The single beatitude that can change the dynamic of this nation and the family and the community that we live in is you and me. There are two kinds of reactions that people will have when they're faced with the conflict, right? And the reason why I have to go through this uh, is, is like, you know, when we talk about peacemaking, we need to look at all the parts of peacemaking. So think of it this morning, like a, a big picture that we are just like a drawing different paintings within that one picture. I'm sure at the end of it will all come together. So hang tight with me. So there are two kinds of reactions that the people will have when they're faced with the conflict. One, skunks. These are the people who will stink the place the moment they hear a conflict. They, if they are pushed into a corner, then they will just like, a, you know, spray the, the nasty smell around everyone that is around us. And then the second kind of people, when they run into conflict, they are like turtles. They will hide inside their shell because they don't want to get hurt. They both are not right. We cannot be skunks and we cannot be turtles if we want the problem to be resolved. And there is a, someone, a preacher once said that usually the skunks will marry the turtles. So I don't know who's a skunk or a turtle in your marriage, but that's what they say. Normal tendency is that the skunks will marry the turtles. But here's the thing. Some of the common, first we will talk about like what are the so, so, common obstacles that we run into, um, you know, when we come into this Beatitudes. The number one issue or a number one obstacle that we run through in our life that takes us from being a peacemaker is not dealing with our own sin first. That's why Jesus dealt with it earlier in this Beatitudes. He talked about blessed are those who mourn because not having peace with God is a, a number one obstacle that we have. When we don't get our relationship right with God, when we don't open ourselves to God and say, God, I have done this thing wrong, let me come before you. Paul says that. Paul says, I'm the worst sinner of all. This is like after, you know, starting and planting so many churches, after seeing so many miracles, Paul recognizes his true sense. And that's what Jesus went after earlier in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. We have to take all the dirt out of our life first, because with all these dirt, we may not be able to get to the peacemaking. And a lot of times we watch some of these. Uh, uh, when you go to the grocery stores, honestly, when you go through that uh, um, uh, the, the, the counter to just like, uh, you know, get your things paid for, they normally leave tabloids 
there are some things, the gossip books in there. And you may not be buying those, but you are interested in knowing what did Kanye West do? What did Jennifer Lopez do? What did Angela Jolie do? Why? Because we wanted to satisfy ourselves looking at their dirt. We think, ah, my dirt is not that bad as their dirt is. We're self-satisfying ourselves. What are we doing? We are hiding our sins under the rug. We are not getting ourselves right with God. Before being a peacemaker, we need to clean ourselves up first. And the number two reason why it, it, it becomes harder for us to be peacemakers is because we still have some unforgiving spirits in us. We want to hurt somebody because we are hurt. Unless we have the peace within ourselves, it is very hard to be a peacemaker for someone else. We have to learn how to be a peace, at peace with our own self. If we are hurting inside, if we are just broken inside, we cannot be going out and helping someone else. And the thing is this, um, there was one time I had like a, this idea of like a picking up the phone and just like a calling all the people that I've said something wrong to, that I've hurt somebody so I can actually make some amends with. Uh, I'm telling you today, there were so many blessings that happened during that time. It is still following me because there was like a, a period in my own life. I was so unforgiving over the scars that people have left in my heart. I'm not diminishing those scars. Sometimes it's really hard scars that is still left in our heart that people have said or people have done. I met this girl a couple of years ago in Perry Correctional. She was an 18-year-old girl, but she was repeatedly raped several times. How can that girl forgive somebody? It's hard. I'm, so I'm not putting, a, you know, you to say like, a, you know, I was one time inviting a mother to come to a forgive me dear even, and f she flat out refused to come because she said, the man that you're asking me to be with has actually, you know, done so much damage. In fact, he is serving time for shooting me in my shoulders. And I am not going to forget. I'm telling you this morning. The vengeance begins, you know, belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to you and me. And we need to have a forgiving spirit. If God is just like reminding you of someone right now that you need to forgive. Irrespective of what they have done, leave that pain, leave that scar under the foothills of Calvary this morning because God needs you. God is looking for a peacemaker. The third reason, and, and the, the Bible says like that sometimes we become very judgmental too because when someone does wrong, we really want them to get punished. 
We, if, if the same wrong was done by us, we need forgiveness. We are looking for forgiveness. But if someone else has done it, we want them to, you know, pay for what they have done wrong. And this is how you will know whether you have forgiven someone or not. If you hear about something bad happened to that person that you have something against with, and that you think that you have forgiven yourself, right? But when you hear something bad happen to them, and you feel like, ah, oh, inside you, if you keep laughing or smiling to yourself, then you know you need to go under his wings and just like a surrender yourself. I read a quote from Billy Graham. He says, like, you know, there were so many times you would go before God crying in tears, saying, oh, God, forgive me. If that's the case for Paul and Billy Graham and all these men of God, we need to be doing this every single day, right? The third reason why we run into this is because of the self-centeredness that we have, the me, the, the ego, the pride. If we are full of ourselves, it is easy for us to get hurt. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verses 1, it says, What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the selfish desires at war within you? The selfish desires are created by ego and pride. If you want to be a peacemaker, we need to leave our ego and pride underneath. And, and the Proverbs 13.10 says, pride only leads to arguments. If there are arguments, just to analyze yourself, is your ego or pride showing up in that conversation? And we need to surrender our ego and pride before the Lord. And the fourth reason why it hinders us being a peacemaker is our tongue that is out of control. I want you to go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. This is a beautiful verse, and I want you to read this and consume this. I'm going to read it for you this morning, but when you get a chance, I encourage you to read and reread this chapter because it's talking about an untamable tongue. One of the biggest, you know, issue that we would run into is how our tongue, you know, hurts somebody. Look at this verses from James chapter 3. It says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man able also to brittle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouth that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very rudder, Wherever the pilot desires, even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great forests 
a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, that the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets the fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptiles or creatures of the sea is tamed and has tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. How can a mouth do both these things? That's why James is just going after these verses. He's saying, my brethren, these things are not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same openings? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive trees? Or grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. Here's what the tongue does. The tongue that we have is a weapon that can praise God or bring people down. The peacemakers will have a control over their tongue. Even when you feel like you are under distress, you will never say something harsh. I heard sometime back a person saying, when you are angry, don't send emails. Don't write them on Facebook. Don't say that on social media. What is going on in your heart? Go to God in prayer and get that anger out before you say something. If that is the case for an email or a social media, how much more careful we have to be with this tongue. When we are angry, we may say things the things that come out of our mouth will hurt somebody. The wounds will heal, but the words that come from our mouth will never heal. People will remember that for a long time. There may be a lot of good things that you may have done to your children, to your sons and daughters, but if you have said something bad about them, that one thing that came out of your mouth will still stick with them Till they go to the grave. And so this morning, I'm asking you, if you have said something to somebody, the first thing that you need to do is write down their names. Go to the Lord in prayer and call them and ask for forgiveness. It is easy for us to ask for forgiveness now than to go to hell. It's as bad as that. And the last thing that you know, that causes us not being a peacemaker is a lack of compassion. We tend to think so much about ourselves, we forget to think about the others. You may say, Cyril, what is the problem of not having peace? I'm living my life 
I don't like that person, so I, I stay away from them, right? That's right. Bible doesn't say I have to be a doormat, right? Bible doesn't have a beatitudes that says, blessed are the doormats for they shall be walked on, right? When we have strife or conflict with someone, the Bible doesn't say we need to be a doormat. But here's what the Bible says. When we have strife, when we have no peace with people around us, the first thing the Bible says is it blocks our relationship with God. When we are angry, when we are not at peace with someone, then it just like it takes that relationship with God to such an extent. So much of gap is being formed. In 1 John 4.20, it says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? God is equating our hate to his relationship. So the number one thing that we lose in this is, is our relationship with God. The second thing that we lose is not having our prayers answered. In 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, likewise, dealt with them, here it's wife, right? With the understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being hires together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. God says, if we are angry with our wife, if we are angry with our husband, our prayers will not be answered. And in other words, it says that our prosperity will be blocked. So I'm going to talk about three things very quickly. If I don't finish it, I will run into next week. The number one reason that, or, or, or that we have seen so far in this Beatitudes that Lord is leading us into is to be the peacemaker. So what do I do? What do I have as a responsibility to do? Three things I'm going to talk about. Number one, I'm responsible to pursue peace in my relationship with others. Hebrews 12:14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. There is another verse that says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22. If you are like a, you know, wanting to remember everything in this is 222. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 22, right? Stay away from lusts which tempts young people. Pursue what God, what has God's approval. Pursue faith, love and peace together with those who worship the Lord with a pure heart. God is saying pursue. You have to go after you have to run towards. We have to be chasing after. If we don't have that reconciliation this morning, we should be the first one to begin that, res that resolution process or the reconciliation process. It is an uncompromising spirit that we need to have to pursue peace. That's why in the same chapter that we are reading later, 
when Jesus was talking from the Sermon on the Mount, he says, therefore, if you bring, in verse 23, 24, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, it's not like what you have against the brother. It's not like what you have against that sister. God is saying, if your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. God is saying, your worship, you spending time with me, is all good, but if you have someone that's not having peace with you, first go reconcile with that person. So the number one thing that we should do is to find ways to reconcile with people who don't have peace with us. There was a writer named Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is how he says, when he read Matthew chapter 5, 23, 24, this is how he is explaining this verse. He says, if you are in the state of conscious en enmity against another, if you're not speaking to another person, or if you're harboring these unkind thoughts. So he's explaining the Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24. Here are the things he's saying. If you're not speaking to another person, you're, you're just like angry at that person. You're not speaking to that person. And if you're harboring unkind thoughts, forget that you're doing something to that person. If you're not thinking good thoughts, right? And are hindrance and obstacles to that, uh, other, God's word assures you that there is no value in your attempted act of worship. It will avail you nothing. The Lord will not hear you. According to our Lord, the matter is so vital that you must, as it were, even keep God waiting in the altar. Go and put it right, he says. You cannot be right with God until you put yourself right with man. Isn't that amazing? This man is saying, put God in a waiting mode. Leave God. In other words, I don't know how many of you have arguments going to church in your car. If I take this verse and translate this into what we can consume, right? If you have arguments going to church along the way, then it is better for us to stay in the car and reconcile first before walking into the church to worship the Father. He says in Matthew chapter 5, you know, first to reconcile yourself, first to make peace before you start to worship me. And the thing is this, there are so many times, you know, we, we have these arguments because we think we have the right to hold the grudge. We are in the right side of the wrong. But if Jesus has felt that he was on the right side and he was still sitting in the, 
the throne and room with God on the right side of the Father, right hand side of the Father, he wouldn't have come down to the earth to reconcile you and me to be with him. So if your right part of this argument comes into your mind, it is okay for us to put the rights aside so we can reconcile with people. The time will never heal any bad argument. Time will never heal the conflict. You and I have to have a top priority to go and heal. The second one, the first one is if we have something against someone, we need to have a way to reconcile with them even before we come before God in worship. The number two responsibility as a believer that we need to have is that to share with others how they can have peace with God. Peace with God is more important. We are in constant conflict and war with God because of our unrighteousness, because of our bad things that we're thinking about somebody, because of the words that we use. And God says, even last week we saw about the purity of heart. God will drop all charges against you and me when he sees Christ. It is our role at this point when our charges get dropped, our iniquities are being erased. It is our job to go and show what the peace of God looks like for somebody else. If you don't have peace with God this morning, if you're fighting with your God this morning, you need to get yourself right with God this morning. You need to bow down before God and just like get your relationship right because you and I cannot give what we don't have. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verses 17 through 20 is talking about a ministry of reconciliation. This is how the verses go. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is a ministry given to you and me. And it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their sins to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you, Paul is saying, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I see Proverbs 2-6 as a ministry of reconciliation. You and I have that ministry of reconciliation. This is not a suggestion that God has done. This is not God is saying, oh, you should have like a peace of, uh, or have reconciliation. He's saying it should be like a ministry that we need to have. Let me tell you three things that I, I could think of this morning of how this ministry of reconciliation is thriving inside 
Proverbs 36. And I'm hoping that this encourages you. One time, an inmate in Kersha Correctional, after the Proverbs 26 event, went to the chaplain, Chaplain Patoka, and I, and he told Chaplain that if these people who show up on Saturdays that has no relationship to me, love me and my children, then I want to know what they know about their God and gave his life to Christ. And the thing is this, when we show the love to somebody, the love transforms into them knowing God that we know. In Perry Correctional, when those mothers came for the first time for the come to the table, when those men got their arms around their mothers and they were dancing with their mothers, letting them know they have done nothing wrong for them to spend time inside their prison bars and washing their mother's feet and ask for forgiveness. We think that the mothers got healed. No, those men got healed. For the next 17 weeks, the chaplain said, there were people standing outside in a line to give their life to Christ and were baptized. For 17 weeks, and the chaplain said at one point, I lost the count of men that gave their life to Christ. And the third incident that I heard over the years is this. A young girl who came to see her father in Ridgeland Correctional later that year during summer in a VBF class, gave her life to Christ. And they asked her what changed her heart to give her life to Christ. She remembered the day her father washed her feet and asked for forgiveness. The number two reason why Jesus is so stressful about being a peacemaker is because he wants us to show people how to have peace with God. And number three reason we talk so much about this, which is our responsibility, is to bring peace between people. Think of the world today, the social media postings that we see. That there's so much of hatred being exposed in so many medias, the normal media and the social media to separate us. There was a man named Scott McKnight. He wrote this in his book called The Fellowship of Difference. He says, The church is God's world-changing social experiment. Church is God's world-changing social experiment of bringing unlikes and difference to the table to share life with one another as a new kind of family. It is a giant experiment God is doing. The church is a giant experiment to bring the people of differences into one place so that we become like a family. Right? And then he goes on to say, when this happens, when we reconcile with each other in the church, when we bring one in Christ in church, when we show to the world what love, justice, peace, 
reconciliation and life together is designed by God to be. The church is, this is what this man is saying, Scott McKnight is saying, the church is God's show and tell for the world to see how God wants us to live as a family. We as a church should show the world what love looks like, what justice looks like, what peace looks like. The number one quality that this world is desperately looking for is a peacemaker. And the thing is this, he is called a prince of peace. He is Yehovah Shalom. His name is it's peace. And, and look at the promise that God has for us. It says, they shall be, this is a passive sentence, they shall be called the sons of God. Last year, about this time, my daughter was involved in writing a law that was signed by President Trump that helped the HBCUs with the, some of the funding that they were struggling with and it helps the students with scholarship. When they became a law before Christmas and, and my daughter took a picture, I mean there is a photo frame that was sent from White House that is in my house right now, right? When I saw that, I was like a gloating over what my daughter has done. Because this is a value that I've been fighting for. This is something that is so dear to my heart, which is to give education a highest priority. And here's my daughter out there fighting and getting this law signed and became something that the nation will benefit from. I was gloating over telling people, showing the picture of that, uh, you know, photo-framed, you know, a document that was signed by the president of this nation, right? And the reason why is because she was carrying the value that I've cherished the most. And think about it this way. When we start to make peace, when we start to become the peacemaker, how much more our Heavenly Father will be joyful of you and me. He will be saying, oh, that's my daughter. Oh, that's my son. He will be telling everybody, oh, they carry my values in them. They carry what I cherish the most. In fact, the Father in Heaven will be rolling on the floor with joy. Telling people, ah, that's my son. I'll be pointing to Peter, John, and James. That's my son. That's my daughter. That's, oh my goodness. They actually carry my name into this world. Every single time we try to make peace, this is how joyful our God will be telling people about us. Today, three things that we saw. You and I are responsible to pursue peace in our relationship with others, our relationship. The second thing, we're responsible to share with others how they can be peace with God. And third, 
I am responsibility. My responsibility and your responsibility is to seek and bring peace between others. If there is anyone on this line that does not have peace with someone in any one of these three areas that you're struggling with this morning, if you're struggling to have peace with someone because you're scared, the scar, the scar is so real, and you want to give that to the Lord this morning, I want you to take your hands and put it on your heart. And we're going to pray. And the, and the hands that you're putting in your heart, right? The Bible says the kingdom's righteousness flow through your hands. And I want that righteousness to flow through to your heart. If there is someone in your family that you need to show Christ and to have peace with God, remember that person's name right now. Because we're going to pray over that. If there is someone that you know has against another person that you have a perfect opportunity to bring peace on, but you have no idea where to start, let God of this universe put the words in your mouth this morning to bring peace in that situation. I'm going to ask Miss Sarah as she comes on to pray over the communion, before she goes on to pray over the communion, I'm going to ask her to pray over these three areas as you are putting your hands on your heart, that God is just going to restore peace in your heart this morning. You cannot walk away from this service with the burden and uncleanness around this area because God is saying, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. I want you to walk away from this message as the sons and daughters of God. Miss Sarah, go ahead and lead us in prayer. <laughs> 